Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hi, it's Martin here. Electronically Yours, as always. I know I say this every week, and maybe it's just because I'm an enthusiast, but um, today's guest, this was a genuine... I've met William Orbit before. He's a lovely guy. But the discussion that we... The freewheeling nature of the discussion we had and have had uh, on this episode gave me great joy because why I do quite a lot of research into all the different um, artists and he's done so much stuff, incredible stuff. Um, and he's been through the normal kind of range of life experiences that people have and I didn't want to dig too deep into it, but I know because it's, it's public knowledge that he had issues to do with addiction and what have you and now he's out the other end but this guy is super intelligent he's also incredibly talented but he's got that extra extra bit uh which makes him into a great um person to work with for people as musicians he's just uh, a very empathetic and charismatic character as well i think you're going to really enjoy this uh, i certainly did here he is william orbit How are you keeping? Well, I caught, up a, I caught a terrific cold, a stinker of a cold in Switzerland when I was out there, and I tested myself dozens of times. It ain't COVID. It's a good old-fashioned oh. stinker. But I did a stupid thing, and I this is where it's germane to our, our profession. When you get on a plane and you've got a heavy cold, take the Sudafed. Yeah. You know, yeah. Reduce the swelling. Sudafed makes you twitchy, and it's horrible, but I, I didn't. And so I lost my hearing for a day and a half, and now it's all gurgling. It's okay. Yeah. Guys, if you like your ears and you're on a plane <laughs> and you've got a cold, take the pill. I'm, at this age, uh, uh, I'm just pleased I can hear anything, to be honest, above about 12K. Well, you and I are the same age, <laughs> but we're lucky because I'm around musicians that really have lost it. I mean, you find that out when you're in the studio and you put on the, they go out for a tea break and you, you wander into the vocal booth to check everything's all right, put on the can. So wrong. Let's have a listen to what the singer's hearing. Whoa! Oh my God. Well, you can tell by the leak on the mic, can't you? And all that stuff. I, I did a session once with Finley Quay and it was a bit, um, he was a little bit uh, lubricated, shall we say. And yeah. he kept saying, turn the music down and turn the music down on my headphones. And the engineer's going, there is no music in your headphones. It was leaking <laughs> from his blasted headphones. He was having it so loud. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Lots of physics here. Oh, my God. Well, thanks for doing this, William. I really appreciate Ooh. it. And um, Well, we can do it properly today, Martin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was uh, it was going to be a bit rushed the other day. Um, just so the listeners know, we, we've had a couple of goes at this and it's it's um we've anyway we're here now that's the important thing um what's your background there it's a very nice looking room is that your studio yeah 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 Lovely. it's gorgeous it was designed by a friend of mine uh it's a tile yard um in queen's cross and it was designed by a friend of mine um who uh who uh, who was a big fan of those kind of 70s looking oh. rooms you know with the proper bass traps at the back and the uh, you know, and so he did it all absolutely, spent a fortune on doing it, and then, then he moved out, and I got to rent it. So it's fantastic. Nice. 
Well, if you um, want to say anybody wants to see those kind of studios, Los Angeles is the place. Like, you'll be in an old studio and it looks like a 70s studio and on the wall will be all these artists that are sly in the family stone and then they'll say, oh, yeah, and Harrison Ford came in and made the roof. You know, and it's like proper old-fashioned <laughs> 70s studio. I love all those. I used to work at, um, at Red Bus off uh, Church Street because uh, that was so old-fashioned. Mm. It had an MCI desk, which was lovely, and all that stuff. And it had a proper live area, a big live area. You could record, like, you know, 30-piece orchestra in there. And uh, and it was relatively cheap, you know, because it was a little bit faded at the edges, if you know what I mean. Uh, but I loved it. And it was this kind of colour scheme. That's what it reminded me. There so, aren't many. There aren't many, Martin. I mean, there's a rack, there's air, there's Abbey Road, yeah, you know, which are wonderful, and they're still going fa- fantastically. So I know, I know. Uh, Air Studios. I mean, that was the best when it. Uh, well, I don't know. Did you record in the Oxford Street Air? No, no. But the one in Ham- Hampstead, I adore it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And when you, you've got friends, and you know, because you know, as you get this a lot, probably too, people with cousins, relatives, youngsters, they'll say, "Oh, can I just see how you work? Can I be a fly on the wall?" And the answer is. Well, you could, but it'd be like watching somebody doing their accounts. You know, it's on a computer. But when you get a session at a big place like Air with an orchestra oh, and all the engineers on like that top game and everything going on and it's so expensive, that's when you come along to that, then you'll find it interesting. Well, funnily enough, when I first met my current wife, we've been together nearly 30 years now, um, the first thing I did was bring her into Red Bus for a big orchestral session. I thought, this will sort it out. <laughs> and he did. And yeah. we got we got we uh, I proposed to her a month later and we're still married. So um there you go, that, chaps. Everybody out there, first date, <laughs> if you've got access to techno womb, everything's brought to, everything sounds wonderful, a happy creative <laughs> environment. What better place? Doesn't it even really, feel like a date. Doesn't even feel like a date. No, right? no. even though you're getting fed. And it's the most wine. exciting thing, isn't it? Orchestras are just fantastic. <sighs> Well, when you see somebody conducting, you know, I was sat in on a session with a, oh, I wish I could remember his name, but he did, a, he did, a, he did that movie yesterday, what it, the Beatles one, that, um, yeah, you know, oh, I know goodness, yeah. Danny Boy did, Danny Boyle made this, and I watched, I went to the scoring session, and his young dude, and I can't remember his name, uh, it was just fantastic, you know, he's writing bits, changing notes, talking to the string players, up and bit, super fast, massive communication speed of everybody involved, it was terrific. Wow. Yeah, just going, going back to that first date, or second date, as it was, <laughs> uh, the track, I was working with this young artist called Taishan from uh, Tommy Boy Records in New York. It's really good. Like the, It was kind of like the new Alexander O'Neill. And uh, it, it was a track called Romantically Inspired. So you can't beat that shit, can you? That's perfect. Oh, it's funny. Uh, anyway, so um, let's talk about you growing up. I mean, you you were obviously must have been classically trained as a musician. Is that right? Not at all trained in any shape or form, but classically uh, enveloped. I mean, that's all we listened to in my household was was the, you know that from from Marla to 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 um, Mozart. March, I'm not getting chronologically right about no. Handel and Schubert, especially, but also Benjamin Britten. Wow, then contemporary, and that was it. In fact, pop was a bit of a taboo in the household. I had to listen in secret, but no training whatsoever. In fact, I've got this kind of dyslexia when it comes to the dots. I can't. I don't read or write music. You miss it. Don't miss it, right? Yeah, not at all. In fact, I've been involved in quite a lot of uh, um, educational discussions 
um, trying to get conservatoires to acknowledge that, you know, learning arrangement on logic or whatever is just as valid as as writing dots, you know, and it is really. I mean, in fact, a lot of all yeah. orchestras can now play, um, although they've been trained on manuscript, but uh, they, they can play off iPads or whatever, you know, and... Uh, the key and, thing is about it is, is you can you know you want to communicate. If I want to communicate directly with, I mean, I, I was on Jules Holland uh, a couple of days ago. And we had two string players. Now the parts, you know, I had to have somebody had to write them out or put them on a piece of paper, print it out of um, Sibelius, and give it to them. So the direct communication. If one of the string players had come up to me and said, "Look, this this could this be a flat? Is this right?" You know, with a stave, I'd be like, you know, I've got to hear it, play it. I can't tell yeah. by looking. No, so I wouldn't. I would encourage people to learn to learn it. But this, as you say, the Modern music making requires a knowledge of MIDI and everything. Look, back in the day of Stravinsky, it was frowned upon to to actually hear what you were composing. You were supposed to go for a walk in the woods, think it up in your head, come back, no piano in sight, write it all down. And he would sit there at the piano, bashing out ideas and writing on, cutting out. He didn't have, he had his own cut and paste. You know, he had sticky bits of paper and sticky post-its or whatever. He, I think he even invented his own post-it glue. He might have invented the post-it. One of those composers. <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know. That, that sounds like one of those bogus uh, uh, trivia questions, didn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah, to catch you up. But, you know, it, it's like, so, but. Methodology is, a, is, a, is irrelevant, really, if it works for you. The only time it is important is communicating your ideas to other people. You have to have a bridge. Well, interestingly, I mean, I'm quite interested in, in, in the history of how music has been created, you know, from Neolithic times, really. Yes. And um, what really inspired me was I was lucky enough to go to Peru and... Uh, and of course, you're probably like me. So when you travel somewhere, you want to find out everything about it and the history and so on and so on. Looking at, and they didn't even have a written language, let alone written musical language. And in fact, I did a project um, uh, about ancient Rome as well. They didn't have any written music at all. Interesting. It was all by ear, all of it. And, well, of course, uh, ancient Rome took their took their kind of cultural bearing points from the classics, from the Hellenic period, which, of course, Homer and everything, as you say, was an audio book, you know, <laughs> life. It was, there was nothing written down. You, you listened to stories, you learnt them, and you learnt songs and poetry, and it was all part of the same thing. Well, it was all part of what... Ba uh, they must have had great memories. You know how London taxicabs have this kind of extended part of their brain because they have a map of London in their heads. It's part of what's called, for your international listeners, in London, I think it's the only city, black cabs that you hail in the street, we call black cabs because they used to be all black. The driver has to do three or four years of called the knowledge and has to learn every street. No sat nav. And I think in the old days, in the Grecian times, they just had a really good memory for whole stanzas of, you know, they can remember tons. So why write it down? Well, also, uh, it sticks together a culture and defines a culture, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Over generations. We, we're, we're at risk of losing that. And, uh, there are you're right, and you've, got, and you've got direct feedback. It's why DJs are fortunate because they go on, they can go onto a stage. The DJs, they can make up a track. You know, they've got the technology to actually create something brand new or modify something and watch the audience in real time. It's why rap works. Why rappers, when they go into hip hop artists, go in the studio with lots of people for a circus, and exactly the same. Those storytellers could gauge. It's like if you want to write children's books, I think you have to get lots of children around, tell them stories, and when they're bored. Scratch that bit out of your book. When they're all paying attention, that's the bit you like. And it's the same with music. And I'm sure that in telling these oral or singing these oral tradition songs, they it was like a palimpsest, you know, gradually firm up and get better and stronger because 
oh god they're glazing over here we'll skip that next reading you know and so on well, we don't like such instant feedback with music but it's close yeah it's a bit like designing a live set isn't mm. it? because you refine it over time mm-hmm. uh, and then you go well either i or the audience are a bit bored with this let's change it up and and so that's how it works and now you know i mean i was doing a couple of gigs this weekend and the audience is going, oh, it, you know, you, you seem to be better than ever. I'll tell you what we're good at is be- we're better at communicating. Listening. You're listening to the audience. Yeah. And they're the bosses. The other, you know, that's the flip side of that coin. I've been to see young bands and they play the set and they've got their audience, their beloved, you know, they're very loyal audience. And then they'll have one, one song that's actually danceable and everybody rips up. And then they're back to their ballads. And you want to say, <laughs> I've actually looked at your audience. They clearly want more of the sing-along dancey tracks. Don't be ashamed of those ones. That's right. That's, that's true, actually. I did a very interesting um project with the uh, you know you remember the bowie um exhibition that was on at the vna yeah. mm. well there was a late night event or a weekend of special events and uh, <clears throat> together with this friend of mine who's a professor at university of plymouth we created this uh, 3d sound installation based on uh the the success well based on intros of bowie songs uh, which was uh, which were triggered mm. On a timeline, in the room, uh, according to their success in in terms of sales, and so I did this analysis in advance of this um, about I had this notion that major key and up tempo usually equated in the old days in the old school to more successful you know pop singles or whatever so i did this correlation i actually analyzed all the all the temp tempe and the and the keys of all these songs <laughs> all of his songs and guess what there was an actual co- correlation uh until let's dance the album mm-hmm. at which point the correlation started separating in other words bowie was being because he had a huge that was his big uh, american album it, mm. That broke him in America. Yeah. Um, he um, he was obviously being pressured by the record company to have another Let's Dance, essentially, uh, success. So he kept uh, making things more positive and faster, but it was like putting your foot to the floor and the petrol running out in a car. Uh, it was like it, the, the sales stopped. One, two, three, four. Where's everybody? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good song. All right, everybody, one, two, three, four. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on, mate. I've got my guitar. I've got to pick up my guitar first. <laughs> that's, a, that's very interesting, Martin, because intros, well, now I've never had this thought before and crosses my mind until you mentioned this, but David Barry's intros are rather good, all of them, aren't they? It's signature yeah. intros. But I love the fact that in funk and, and soul and all these rare grooves that people sample, you often get this amazing intro. And yes. then into like, here's a drudge of a song. And everybody samples the intro. What happened to the intro? Why, why didn't you just make the whole song like the intro? I'm, I'm, I'm. Which, which, by the way, they did later when they sampled it. <laughs> that's right. That's, which is ironic, right? So I, I'm kind of obsessed with intros. I feel that there isn't enough attention paid to intros in contemporary it's pop. Trying to fucking do them down. You know that they're whittling away. That's Spotify. Um, Excuse the language. They're trying to whittle away intros. I find myself tearfully cutting out bars now. Really? Radio edits, yeah, it's all right. Attention span, and also, what happened to starting with a chorus, a vocal chorus? That's quite good. They did a lot of that in Motown as well. 
that's a good point actually start with your best bit yeah first fleet foot running or whatever or an instrumental reminder of it of course choruses yeah. have become much less str- song structure has become looser now as people don't feel like the verse a verse b tag bridge blah chorus you know reintro they're becoming much more cut and paste which is good because they're listening to the audience i suppose that's what it is excuse me i have a big cough i caught this cold uh, <coughs> i told you but i've just my first single is a triple time tune which well, is interesting because some of the best tunes are triple time. You don't get a lot of that. You don't. You really don't. It's not as if when you open up your logic or you're Ableton or your garage band, it's going to suggest a triple time meter. You know, it's that's so many songs are done at four, four hundred and twenty because that's where you start. No one's every. I think what it, no, people aren't lazy. They just can't wait to get going. They open up the totally door. Yeah. There yeah. is the default key of C. 120 BPM, 4-4, Can't be asked to change that because I've got this great idea. And then the next thing you know, it's a 120. Who cares? All right, I've got a question for you. I've been thinking about this for uh, a couple of years, actually. There must be somebody working on a piece of artificial intelligence that would act uh, as an improvement or an aid, like a kind of sonic butler, a songwriting butler, that might might be able to analyse one's past compositional style and suggest things to you as you go. Your freshly baked cord, sir, as you yeah. just as you like it. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jeeves. I didn't see that one, of course. Thank you, Jeeves. <laughs> cord butler. Cord butler. Why not? I mean, AI, I mean, sound analysis is ridiculous. You know, sonic analysis now with AI with Fourier recognition is insane. It really is. Aesthetic analysis is a whole different thing. Could you have something that I mean, ideally your own brain does that. And when it doesn't, that's part of the charm. I mean, if if a machine can kind of fill in your own gaps, then your stuff's going to could sound a bit samey. People can tell. Yeah, the only suggestion. But the, the the thing that made me think about this is the fact when you switch your, your I don't know logic on or whatever you use, you, you're already. I think back to in the seventies where I grew up with a bunch of people who were really good guitarists in Sheffield or whatever keyboard players. And they wanted to be in a band and they wanted to be a successful recording artist. But as soon as they picked up their guitar, they were technically proficient, but they fell into the same chord patterns all the time because of muscle memory. And I I tend to think the same is true with, um, you know, with when we're using visually led compositional tools. I tell you what, a mortifying memory I have, and it's long before the visual, it was back in the 70s again when I was in this band, and um, one day we were rehearsing and I do this lick that I always do. And that somebody, I heard this basses go, so I'm like, oh, not that thing again. And it was, <laughs> oh my God, I just did something that I had poor. I repeated myself and bored somebody. You know, that's that's a sin. And I obviously, it's the guy's response, it really, it took about instant feedback. I never did that again. Yeah, I mean, harder, William. Stop being lazy. You know, my fingers are doing it, but come nah. on. Okay, so another question for you. So, what what is your process when you're starting to write something from scratch? It's usually it's usually a, a and I often in my usually in my head, usually in my head because I sing things out a lot. I sing things out in my own little weedy voice to get synth lines, and it's usually in my head. And I'm determined to do it, and I write it down in my own fashion, my own little dots and and diagrams. And then I, when I earliest opportunity, I seek to do it. And it could be a beat, it could be a phrase. I'm not really a lyricist, but I kind of have my own lyrics sort of buried in there a little bit. And it's a phrase, it's an idea. 
and or it's a plan. You know, like today I'm going to do something that feels, you know, intense yet. I have an idea that's very mapped out in terms of its in- intentions, and yet within five seconds, you know, it's gone somewhere else. And before that's you good. know it, whatever the plan was, it all that was a door to open into a pasture. And then, try as I might, I can never stick to the agenda. I love the door leading into a pasture. I've never heard that before. Is that a common saying? You just made that up. It just came to me. <laughs> You're a very creative person when when words you know words and musicians are really i've noticed with musicians you know especially front people in bands you know the 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 the, the singer writer and the producers will have this great language of words and things you know i mean i've the the bjork one isn't it can you just make it a bit more like a butterfly kissing concrete and the (laughs) the engineer's like give me decibels please but the producer's like yeah i get it okay and then they'll turn it into decibel talk, you know. Right. Lighten it up at the top there and take off some 2K, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But we do have we do have great words in our game to describe shortcuts, like a jargon. And we're, we're not doing it to keep... Like, some jargons are invented to keep other people out. Cockney rhyming. Yeah, like the priesthood. Yeah. The priesthood, yeah. Many, many jargons are there designed to just mystique up everything and cast a shroud of obscurity and obfuscate whereas with musicians it's really not it's a, it's, a, it's a yearning to be able to express oneself in the moment i love that so you start like i mean uh, i think i'm in the same category you start from a creative impulse which then i mean uh, you know it's not like all right i'm going to start with you know a certain drum pattern or get a groove going which is more or less what I do, uh, and, and a baseline, and everything kind of develops from that. But I'm kind of more old school, I think. You have an amazing talent to extract the beauty and melody from from everything. I know you, you've got a very good ear as well, and your taste in reproducing classical music is uh, flawless, as far as I'm I tell you what I think it is. I think I'm really good at sound juxtaposition. I'm a good arranger. I think that's my number one skill. That is my that's my standout skill. Um, I love melody and I respect melody, but I'm not I'm not Paul McCartney. I wish I'm oh, I'm not Jimi Hendrix on the guitar. Or I'm not um, you know Sibelius, but I do have a good idea a ear for re- directing theatre, the theatre of music, taking things hey. away, putting things together. Context. It's always about context. I, but, but Martin, before we move on, I wanted to say there is another method I use to start off, and quite often I'm working on something totally different. And in so doing, in the nuts and bolts quotidian part of doing it, I'll, I'll isolate this little moment. A guitar that does a little sort of cool hiccup or something like yeah. that. And I'll be like, do you know what? It's going to lay here sort of un- un- unloved. I'm going to take that, put it, pop it in a little folder on my desk called Bits. Oh, <laughs> nice. B-I-T-S, capital letters. And at some point, I'm going to pull that into a session and build something around it. That's quite common. So it's a sound fragment. I something think I maybe beautiful. created myself. That's beautiful. I had it uh, when in the early Human League. We had a thing, uh, we had a similar thing, except it wasn't on a laptop at that point or whatever. Um, we used to do this thing called, uh, you know, when you're editing tape, mm-hmm. we used to do this thing. Uh, so it was Ian Marsh's idea, actually. He said, uh, oh, don't throw those bits of tape. No, on. no. <laughs> well, let's put them in a bag called Pop Scraps. <laughs> <laughs> scraps. Love it exactly, and you could you yeah. One day you've got nothing. You're a bit bored. You've got <laughs> you edit them together. Sit around t- sticking bits of tape together for two hours. It's like a bit like doing embroidery work, and then you stick it on. It's like boom, concrete. <laughs> and yes. then we said when we got a certain amount of them, Ian said, 
oh, what, we, you know what? We could sell them. <laughs> <laughs> NFTs. We've <laughs> gone to NFTs already. <laughs> Pop scraps, NFTs. Pop scraps. I, I like love that. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we do a similar thing with lyrics, funnily enough. We do um, any anytime we see read anything or, or see anything online or something, and there's a phrase or something that really appeals, or and you can't figure out why it does. Mm. It's just something about the onomatopoeia of it or the uh, the shape of it or or the significance of it and just sling it into a word document and then when it comes to writing lyrics we have like we print them all out and throw them all over the floor and then oh. just it's like a version of of uh the you know the cut-up method i suppose what david barry was famous for yeah that's why how interesting because that isn't that amazing martin so you do that and then, then, then you know a year later you're walking in you're well somebody's walking to the back of a stadium where you're playing and everybody's singing it how cool oh, is yeah. that it's fucking amazing isn't it Ten thousand people singing what you just had on a piece of paper well, it, it amazes me that people are still singing stuff we wrote 40 years ago. I was working in the cup. The, 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 I love that. Oh, I didn't write that it. one, to be fair. But what, <laughs> Martin, you know, um, Trevor Horn did a remix and it was, I think it was that one or was it? No, it wasn't that song. It was a different song, but it's got this clap in it. Doom, this massive clap that all was massively huge burst of white noise and cuts off just on the second beat. And a very, very sparing use of it, but massive. I just that I remember the moment I heard that. Yeah, yeah. He um there was it? No, that was the album. What was the track? Uh, anyway. Anyway. So um my, my assistant, Chaz, who helps me put together the podcast and he, he, he helps me co-write stuff and whatever. Are you happy with the audio, by the way? You're good with that. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Sounds great. Um he uh we were mixing this track the other day, and um I said, just do a just do a rough mix because we need to send it off to a client. And I had a quick listen to it before we sent it off. And there's a bit in it that's got a clap, one of those kind of claps. And it was like really tiny in the mix. And I'm going, Chaz, what are you doing, man? He said, Well, I said, he said, that's loud enough. And I said, No, it's not. No, yeah. <laughs> Have a listen to these tracks from the 80s. And and especially listen to you know electro funk tracks and stuff like that. If a clap comes in, it's twice as loud as the track, nearly. And he went, Oh, I get it. Because he everything's designed for the dance floor. So Yeah, and of course, it's such a thing as compression. You know, you can yeah. you can squash the whole track and it's still everything drops. So you're not hurting everybody's ears too much, but it no, still feels that way. No, I mean drums. Yeah, the, the whole thing with those things, um, claps and drums and levels and things. We just, I just know the rule, the old rule, the old, the old canard. If you're really tired, you've been up all night, you're just frazzled, you can't hear the track anymore. There's a ten decibel rule or a six. Nothing gets pushed up beyond because yeah, you're yeah. so tired, you yeah. know. But if that clap has been buried the whole time, and you're suddenly ready to send it off, and it's like our ears are tired. Let's push the clap up twenty dB. Yeah, wow, yeah, we're yeah. all awake. It's like careful, <laughs> careful. I've been there, yeah. you have as well. Oh, I right. remember in um, 81 when we were doing the first uh, British Electric Foundation album, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I mean, literally, I was busking it. And um, it was like one of the, uh, several of those mixes were like, you know, everything up to 11, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there. Uh, well, also, you know, uh, you're very tired, so whatever you you're enhanced, shall we say? Everything gets brighter, and before yeah, you, you're in yeah, those yeah. I mean, as well. It's quite good to 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 just 
I used to do this a lot in a, is, is go listen to the mix and then take all the reverb off, which yes. wasn't difficult. You just press the return mute and that, on the reverb, turn it all off and start over. And it's like, do I actually need any of this soup? Yeah. But it is good to how what's great about rough mixes is they often have this honesty. And it is something I miss actually is having a mixing desk where I can just throw my fingers onto a load of real faders, yes. load of information, just push it up that sounds right in five minute judgment call. And that is right. Now it's a bit more tiddly widdly, you know, with mouses and stuff. I miss that. You've probably got a proper desk. <laughs> I haven't. No, no, I don't. It's all. I've tried. I mean, I, I won't mind one that's connected with the automated faders and stuff, but I can't be asked. You know. No, same here. It's nice to lunge for. It's nice to lunge for something physical, but you don't want to be reading some menus and all that. No, no I can't be doing with it. Um, I just, you just want to get on with things nowadays. You know, we haven't got long left. Yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> Um, so I'm just looking at my notes. Hold on a sec. By the way, I love I, I love uh, the painter. I think it's a beautiful piece of work. You should be very thanks a lot. And uh, you know, it's not um, it's no shit. And I'm must... I'm, mo- I'm moving to Venice in a short while. I've got this. Shut. Hold on. Whoa, whoa. Rewind. You know, I used to live in Venice for twenty. You did not. Oh, where and I'm you? I'm buying a place back there. No way. We're going to be neighbours. You're going to Venice. I, I I sold my place five years ago. Yeah, and I'm I, and we've just downsized our house in Primrose Hill, and so I'm going to buy a new place in Venice. Where where are you moving to Venice? I'm moving to Venice. Yeah, it's oh. on the Campo San Polo, so right on the oh, Campo, wow. and it's got its own back door onto the canal, a little tiny off tube from the Canal Grande for boat people to kind of drop them straight on my back door. It's got like three bedrooms and this huge space for art. It's half a house. Oh I'm my God, to- we're going to be. Right. <laughs> that's amazing. Where was well, your that's house? good news. So um, I haven't bought it yet, but I, I used to live on the Judeca. And um, do you know? Uh, do you know people in Venice? So you got friends in a couple, there? a couple. You know, I know I will do by the end of my first week. I, I've got some great people to introduce you to. No. There's there's a new place called Cosmo, uh, which is. Uh, a con- an old, uh, uh, like a 16th century church, deconsecrated church, which has been converted into a a a, 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 a sound art performance space. Really? Yes. Because I want to get patched into the Venice city of Venice musical squad in terms of technology. You know, where do I go for like a, a bit of soft, a bit of you know the usual stuff we need to. You know, well, I can introduce there. you to to my friend Emanuele. Uh, who knows everyone? So I need to get a, a passport though, because you know I'm a, I can get a, an Italian passport because I have Italian heritage. And oh, do like, it! Yeah, because of the EU. I don't know if Martin. They're telling me it's ninety days on, ninety days off. It says it says I've got an Irish passport, so I'm oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. But, um, oh my god! I can't. This is the most exciting <laughs> news. I'm, I'm just going to ring up. I'm going to ring up Emanuele. This is, this is too much, isn't he, it? He, he's looking for people to to. He's, you know, that exciting time. I don't know if you've ever been part of this. But in Sheffield, there was a a kind of scene that just organically emerged, and everybody knew each other, and was actually helping each other. And there wasn't that kind of. Embittered, kind of like, oh, we've got to beat them. Well, there's certain elements of that, but you know, everybody was willing to help each other. And Venice is just moving into that phase now with my friend. Oh. And uh, there's a lot of sound art going on there. There's a, oh my God, when did you fall in love with Venice then? I went, for, I've, I've, I, I was in Austria 
And somebody said, why don't you drive down to Southern Austria? Why don't you drive down to see the Biennale? Right. Okay, two and a half hours drive, I did it. Turned up, fell in love with the city within the first five seconds. Me too. That's yeah. exactly how I am. Then the Biennale seemed like a sort of like, yeah, we'll get around to that. I'm just loving this city. And I determined within half an hour, I was chatting with a gondolier, a gondolier and saying, he was saying, oh, the young people are all moving out. There's all this space here. And I'm looking at these empty places. And I, I determined I'm going to get somewhere here. A week later, I came back, brought over my boat from UK, nabbed a place. You know, bravo, <laughs> bravo. And I have found you know what's good value, isn't it? Well, this is it. Hotels are ridiculous, but apartments are just really like, what the hell? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm looking at a place currently brand new, air conditioning, not brand new, 10 years old, air conditioning. That's brand new in Venetian, too. <laughs> you need the air conditioning, don't you, in the summer? Yeah, I need air conditioning, yeah, uh, because you can't leave the windows open because of the mozzies, you know. So, uh, uh, the uh, Brand new, not very, not very big. It's like a bolt hole, really. I mean, I'd want somewhere bigger if I lived there permanently. But I'm going. I intend to live there like three to six months of the year. So, Where is um, it? and it's like 110 square meters for 450,000 euros. I'm going. That is like four times more expensive, five times more expensive in London. I've got um, one 270 square meters. Shut. And he wants, he wants a 1.5, but I'm renting it for a year at 3,000 euros a month plus utilities. Now, I know a hotel there, a five-star room, costs half of that. You get that's two days' worth of hotel. Oh, my God. And it came you lucky. Got a deal there. And they've got the space. The flooding is reduced now because they finally built that gate. Yeah. Mose, so yeah. to paint. I found a, truck, a trucking company, a friend, a met a friend who lives around the corner from me in West London. She's French, but she's just done that same move. And I've got her trucking people to drive on my right. paintings because they're big. When are you paintings. moving out then? I don't get the keys to July 6th, 15, but I, I'll be out there beforehand. I get there just in time. I think the film, there's a film Biennale, there's a dance Biennale. Yeah. It's just a happening city. And to here, there's a lot of university and a, a Oh, yeah, there. university. They do a lot of sound stuff. My friend, uh, uh, this place called Cosmo, look it up, actually. I will. Uh, it's on the Judeca. Um, is is just he, He's just making this scene. It's incredible. And I went I'd there. like to do a residency. I was thinking yes. of doing it for a fresh... First time in my life, I'm going to have regular salons at my place because it is a place for people to come and so forth. So a regular thing. Everybody comes around a certain day. And it's Italian style, right? You know, just yeah. hangs out. And then I also thought a residency, some venue where I can pop up along every week, same audience... Never done that. Always wanted to. Wow. Oh, so it could be that. I'm, look, when we get off this call, <laughs> I'm going to introduce you straight away to him. So anyway, moving on to, where are we? We were talking about 80s snare drums. Now, oh, yeah. if, you're, if you ride oh, around in a taxi anywhere in London, or, to be honest, I've been in different, I've been in five different countries recently in as many, a couple of weeks, and you get in a cab and they're listening to music and it's probably 80s music. And they've all got that snare drum. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It's incredible. It's like when the Quantec came out, you know, <laughs> isn't it, really? And uh, and things like the the old Marshall time modulator and oh, all that man. weird shit. <laughs> Where's all your old gear? Where does that old gear go? The unloved stuff that doesn't, yeah, you know, it's unloved. I, I, I don't have it anymore. I've got I've got hardly any outboard gear anymore. Yeah. I don't need it, really. I've still got my um, System 100 there. Oh, oh beautiful. Isn't that gorgeous? Lovely. I like you... it. Is that red? What colour is that wall? Is that like a dark red? Yeah. That's yeah, a cool colour, that. That's a, that's my favourite colour for hanging art against. Blood red, I suppose. What do you call it? 
Oxblood, is it? Oxblood red or port wine yeah, red or that's the it. Georgians would call it picture then. hanging red. And it just suits that's why I chose it for the cover of my album, because it's a Georgian colour that's the only one apart from white that really does reflect any colour well. It's funny. And it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, so I just want to give a shout out for um for uh, uh for Dido's Lament, which is my favorite song of all time, as it turns out. I just think it's the most beautiful song ever written. <laughs> well, this is it. You know, Handel wasn't somebody that's... Purcell. My, my father was a champion of Handel. Purcell? Purcell, I mean. I'm sorry. Not Handel. Handel. I don't know why. That's a mental, it's just a mental thing. Purcell, <laughs> yeah, Handel, everybody's a fan of Handel. He came over from yeah. Germany and he just basically right. won, won over the population and became, you know, wrote all these massive... It's a, it's a British institution. But Purcell, sorry, Purcell, my father was a great, a great champion of Purcell, and I never really got it. I love trumpet, but that, and I, but I love the story of Dido and Aeneas and the, and the future. I, I went to see, I went to see Dido and Aeneas. But what is it? The, in the, the Fenice. The parade in Venice, the parade of future souls, right? The whole story of it and how she oh. managed out Carthage and the, the tragic story of Dido and Aeneas is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But that song, it's funny because that was done with this, this countertenor. I was brought up on countertenors. Right. My parents were into, they were obsessed with Benjamin Britten. Right. So of course, of course, you know, all the Alfred Dello and Peter Pears, all these things. So there's this guy, Andrew Scholl, who's got this golden voice and uh, he sung it. He, 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 I worked with him. It's brilliant. I'd always wow. to work with him. But, um, and it was actually Rico Conning, you know, one of my collaborators from the past who, who really was the big, Change you on that remix or that version, you know, a big part of it. Yeah, thanks for listening. I, I love it. I listened to it about five times in a row the other day. I should I remix it. So deep into it. Sorry, say that again. I should remix it. Do, you and should kind of freshen it up. That's a good idea. Oh though. no, I just think it's so gorgeous. Oh Making my god. Notes here. Oh my god. Um, by the way, coincidence. Uh, my assistant Chaz is. Uh, his parents live in Benjamin Britten's house. No way. Old house, yeah. No, in Suffolk. Uh, yeah, in Old. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Crikey. I know. <laughs> Fucking hell. Well, my I know that my dad's my mum and dad met in their teen years at the youth club, and they went through the war, and they did that, and they were they you know they were together all their life. And my dad's first date to take my mum was to Peter Grimes, which is a bit of a risk. You know, but she liked it. But they moved to Suffolk because of that. I mean, they were as obsessed as you can get. So the idea of somebody living in Benjamin... I know, it's incredible, isn't it? It's an amazing part of the world. W.H. Order would have come over and hung out there. How come, How come? is he from that area? Uh, yeah, I, I think his parents are, yeah. But uh, just, have you have you seen, uh, have you been in the concert hall there? That's quite an interesting Snape. Part. Yeah, Snape. Yeah. Uh, it's mm. just... Anyway, there's something really just like uh, intensely English about that coastline. It's just so, I don't know what it is. It's like nowhere else on earth, really. That, Sounds, it has its own sound because of the shingles. That's it. Shingles on the, you know, those shingles you get, not sand, and the way the water sucks and moves them around has its own sound, very distinct. I love that. It's, Further up the coast, it's pure yellow sand in Norfolk, but it's the stones there. It's beautiful. It's when it. my parents bought this, they were teachers, they hadn't any money, but they bought this tiny cottage there before it became, you know, Notting Hill Gate. Yeah. You know, it's now <laughs> you either live, people, the posh people live in, either they go off to, 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 to 
what is it, Chipping Norton, or they go out to Alborough or to, you know, Wilberswick. But it wasn't that way then. But lovely, lovely, lovely. Yeah, the um, the the I did I did an installation, a sound installation, um, at Orford Ness, which is a, a, a big nature reserve, and it's like got one of the rarest bi- um, uh, biomes in Europe or something, oh. where only certain plants can grow, and all. And it used to be the nuclear. Uh, bomb testing site, not the actual yes. bombs, but oh, that's, I thought that's what you're going to say about. Yeah, it's an incredible place. Well, I guess it's a little mini Chernobyl, isn't it? It's a bit hot still, and, and the animals. Oh. There. <laughs> yeah, I remember. That's right because my that cottage they had was at the end of a lane. It was, it was the end of a lane. It all in 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 um, Blythborough, the little village of Blythborough, four miles yeah, from yeah. Southwold, and um, which like you knew no one was going to ever 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 build because it was a bird reserve. It's never going to be built on. It's just marshes and mud and salt flats. That's right. Bird watchers, and uh, may it never change. Absolutely. So let's talk about um, the incredible number of famous people that you've worked with. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm just going to re- read a list here: Prince, Madonna, Britney, Mel C, Pink, U2, Katie Malua, Ricky Martin, Beth Orton, Queen, Robbie Williams, Blur, Jesus Christ. I mean, did you actually? I mean, these, a lot of it would be remixing, presumably, but some of it's actual production. Madonna, of course, you know, Justify My Love and all that stuff. Yes, it um, ranges from just re- remote remixing into uh, production and writing and all sorts of things. I mean, you, you, well, as a as a producer myself, I know that a large part of it is just simply human interaction and how well you get on with these people and can they. Do they want to spend time in your presence? It's not just about whether you can make their song sound better or you have to be part of that creative process. Now, I think you're a very amenable person. It's very important. I mean, I think that's partly the breed. I should do a study in the same way you've done a study. Yeah. Record producers' personalities, because we tend to be quite jokey. You know, we know that levity is important in the studio environment and... But also anal about you know getting everything down. We're great listeners, of course. So we we serve as a sort of testament to the artist's creative moment. I love working with vocals more than anything else. That, me, to me too. Me too. Yeah, it's for heaven. It's it's the next. You know, it's exalted. And I think if a singer realizes that you are there, just and will spend for any amount of effort. Yeah, they're already at home with you, so that's good. Mm. I haven't worked with any. You know, I've taken this long break. Haven't done anything really. Um, stayed in touch with some lots of the artists, but not done any serious work. And now I'm kind of back with my own record with guests all over it. I feel like I'll probably end up in the studio working with other artists too. There's been a couple of inquiries. I'm just careful with my time because I want to go to Venice and be the, live the life of a. Oh a my god, we're going to have such good fun! You know, I imagine, will you? We, you you have made the best decision you'll ever make. <laughs> no, this is music to my ears, Martin. How cool no, is that? One person I've. You know, we wouldn't make any difference, but everybody's like, "Yes, yeah." No, and and there are other. I just did a a, a, a big exhibition in a palazzo on the Grand Canal, uh, a, a, a sound exhibit. Yeah, with some immersive theatre friends of mine Amazing. who live in Venice. I've got to introduce you to them because yeah. well. if you're interested in immersive, in not just sound but immersive experiences, mm-hmm. these people can help you make it real. 
Because I find that music in an art gallery environment doesn't always work. It's a distraction. How do you even get the level right? People are either talking or they're in, you know, in rev- reverence, silence, silence. But if it's an installation coming from the other way, yes, it's it's doable. I remember stumbling once when I was in Rome a long time ago and having a very hard time with family there. And I was walking around the city and I stumbled into this beautiful little garden, as you do in Rome, on the, on the banks of the Tiber. No announcement, no nothing. I walked in there and there's this beautiful music playing. It was just, it was quite wonderful for my soul. I'm sitting here in this little neglected, beautiful garden in the middle of Rome, having a moment, reflection. And this, and it turned out it was a, it was a Brian Eno installation. Oh, there you go. You know, as I walked out, I read this little sign and it was Brian Eno. But it, I didn't know at the time. I wasn't familiar with these tracks, but it was a, a marvellous, it was an installation, a very humble, beautiful, well-curated ex- uh, installation. But for me. I, I think you, you, I mean, the stuff that you do, it, clearly you are, you, you know, you are, you have a composer's soul, right? So I think it's only a matter of looking at how you apply that, that particular skill set to a di- to the idea of the the humility of getting under the uh, people's the average person's radar in a, in in a spe- in a physical space and just letting that uh, permeate your soul rather than yes. demanding attention that's the difference having done 20, having done 20 years of 3d sound installations which by the way with my friend Emanuele I will be uh uh, putting in a 3D sound production studio, so you'd be we- welcome to use Ooh. that as well in Venice. No, you're, oh come on! Yeah. I think what's happened at some point, I've fallen asleep and having a marvelous dream. I'm falling asleep. <laughs> I've nodded off. And Martin's telling me all this amazing thing, you know, about no, 3D you, installations in Venice. We are we are just going to have such. Sorry, a... What was that? Oh, Slough. Is it Slough you're talking about? Uh... <laughs> No offense. It's slow. No, it's not Venice. It's slow. No, um, I've lived in Little Venice in in, in uh, Maida Vale. I've lived in. I've lived a lot in Venice, California, but this is the real thing. Yeah, me too. I've had connection with both Little Venice and Venice as well. Yeah. But you, yeah, look, look. It's really important to be compositional. I, I, at the moment, actually, I'm doing my entire album for piano, for two pianos, or for um, piano and string quartet. Stanis quartet, you know, like a violin, second violin, violin, and cello. I would love to get somebody like the Lindsay's to play it, but that yeah, I'm sure you can. You can get anything. Um, have you ever been to the um, to Vivaldi's church, La Pieta, on the? Uh... Well, he was Venetian, wasn't he? He was a yeah. teacher. That's right. Uh, no, I haven't, but I will. Oh my. A lot to learn. I've got a lot to learn. I mean, no, 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 I mean, no, no it's not a learning city. thing. It's just an experiential thing. They they occasionally have concerts uh, of the Four Seasons, obviously, and and other uh, other concerti. But I mean, the Four Seasons is beautiful, and uh, he wrote it for that space. Can you imagine writing a piece of music for a physical space? Wow. So when you hear the actual. Uh, you know the resources you've the, the you know the forces you've got playing that in the correct acoustic environment it all makes perfect sense because the the reverberation in his church where he worked is so smooth there's no early reflections it's do, down to the, the you know plaster walls but also the shape of the space mm-hmm. so when he's doing things like it, i had this uh, revelationary moment so uh, I was in there listening to it, and he's quite quiet. This is the other interesting thing. Uh, 
but it proliferates in a kind of creamy way. Um, so did, there's a lot of arpeggiation, right, in um, in in those works. So uh, and I'm going now in in contemporary recording techniques. You know, the it's all close mic, and you can hear all the instruments, and it's all mm-hmm. like hi-fi. It wasn't designed to be that way. You're meant to listen to it in this beautiful creamy reverb where the arpeggiations blend into a cloud of sound. Interesting. It all makes sense when you hear yeah, it. And it is that inbuilt ambiguity. Yeah. Well, of course, you have to be rich to appreciate Vivaldi or wealthy or connected because you weren't going to hear it in the record anywhere. So you had to pitch up in some venue to have it played for you. Of course, chamber music is all about the chamber. A cappella means chapel in a cappella. I know it's funny. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making mental notes here and, and written notes about all of this. This is very exciting. I wanted to go back to what you said about, um, you know, this. We're talking about this installation in Rome. I got two very interesting adjacent comments on my Instagram uh, yesterday. One said, "Ah, oh, remember you did Gorilla and you did like you had Atomic Doctor Atomic, you know, and DJPO and all that stuff. I want to hear you do some hardcore stuff like that again." And then another person said, "I wish you'd do a whole record of just music to make people go to sleep." Uh, and I thought, <laughs> "What a great parallel thing that would be to do." I do think a, it's a good legacy, isn't it? It's a good, yeah, I'll do two things at once. <laughs> I like multitasking. I do. I'll do a banging. I do the bangingest thing I can possibly do, and probably yeah. bring some people in because I'm not the most bangingest when it comes to drums. Yeah. And then I'll do something that literally sends fractious children off to sleep, <laughs> and I, become I, beloved of every parent in the world. Oh, no! I I, uh, uh, I I was commissioned to do some sleep music by Silent Night Mattresses. <laughs> ah! <laughs> and uh, I got. Into, I, I did an installation with them where I created a a dance track out, out of the sound of their testing facility. Uh-huh. It was uh-huh. It's a long story, but anyway. And then they came back to me and said, could you do some, are you interested in doing some sleep music we can put on our website? I'm going, fine. So I did this 15-minute piece, hmm. which very slowly slows down and very slowly chromatically moves down in key and very uh, uh, imperceptibly gets duller and duller so it doesn't it, it, it all the kind of harshness so as, as you're drifting off and your thoughts start to take on their yeah. own entity you don't get pulled out of it by anything exactly love it yeah now, what was the thing that you do when you want to take naps but you don't want to be you know when you're in the middle of a moment of extreme air and endurance and and uh, pressure and you want to sleep for a second so you hold what well, you hold something in your hand don't you oh yeah you so yeah. And when it falls it wakes you up yeah something like that there's also a thing that that uh sleep clinics do isn't it they have they have um what's it called um they they make you hold a, a thing and you tap it oh and it's a bit like counting sheep but it's a physical oh. movement and apparently it's enough to distract the brain away from the incessant kind of circularity of thought i've got a theory that watching really intense drama they all say, oh, don't have your laptop open last thing at night. Don't watch stuff in the blue light. But it's like, as long as you don't watch it in bed, you're actually in a separate place. You've got your laptop open and you put on your favourite TV show, which can be all about whatever you like. You know, people getting killed horribly and falling in love and being dumped. All the, all the trauma of drama, all, all, all of that. 
the catharsis of drama. But the thing is, you're so taken up with the characterizations and you're reflecting on it, it's all reverberating in your head as you finally feel asleep. You haven't got time for any of your own thoughts. So by paradoxically, very intense drama can, can just wipe out all the other stuff and you mm. go to sleep. It's a counter, counterintuitive, isn't it? Like, I've just watched the final episode and everything's that, like, everything's going off, everything's getting killed, my favourite character, they're going to get killed. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> that's the genius. about anything else in your life, right? It's only fiction. And that's the genius. Matter. That's the genius of, of uh, you know, the new fashion for long-form TV series on Netflix or yes. Amazon or whatever. Because it, you get immersed into a continuum. And actually, what happens is pretty irrelevant. And I think David Lynch started this. Okay. With Twin Peaks. Because we got to the end of Twin Peaks, because the normal thing is you've got to have a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Twin Peaks was like a continuum. In fact, you got to the end and there was no ending. It was like just another episode. Mm. And I thought a lot of people were really pissed off about that. They wanted all the ends tied up. Okay. And I thought it was genius, personally. Yeah. But you've got to you've got to have compositional rigor you know as well so you could say you don't want the audience to feel like oh look he's being clever blah blah it's like no 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 it sounds like an ambient piece to want of a better word yeah but you've applied some real compositional rigor to it yeah. every note counts every note okay. counts people don't need to be aware that consciously but it's it's crucial and that's something that i would say make every note count with whatever i love you're doing. that i love that that's my takeaway <laughs> Make not, yeah, make it count, but make it also count how it relates to the other notes, you know. Yeah. No, no note is an island. There you go. No note is an no island. No note. Oh, these, these are great. These are great. It's like you're like a motivational speaker. It's great. <laughs> I was thinking of doing a cartoon strip, actually. Talking to David Lynch, he did The Angriest Dog in Baltimore or something, didn't he? The Angriest Dog in the World. Yeah. And he did his cartoon every Sunday for his local paper, and he'd always be late. It would just come under the door, you know, minutes before the morning press deadline. But it was just the same picture with this really angry dog. Same picture, this horrible <laughs> pissed off dog with a different caption. It doesn't have to be a labour of effort. Right? I might do a cartoon. I want to say some stuff. I've also been exposed to some of the... I was in Davos last week, and I've started to think a little bit more about what am I doing here? You know, I'm about to... to re, I'm redesigning my life to have a good time and to not take any BS and, you know, and some family things I've kind of cut off of making me much happier. But I could also help other people. There's a matter of yes. being of service, which I, I, I'm not sure how I can be of service, but I feel like I could be of service. I think, we, I think we all need to do that. I mean, I try in my small way. Uh, well, I'm a socialist. Make no I know you are. <laughs> but, um, but not only that, I, I, I feel very sorry for young people coming into the music industry. So I try yeah. and... I try and do what I can to help that. So I'm, I'm involved with the Ivers Academy and various um, charitable trusts that, it, that I've got my creativity. Martin, I've got three Brit School alumni on my record. There you go. Four. There you Katie go. Katie Mellower, Polly Scattergood, Georgia, and Penny, 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 Penny Lancaster. So I've got four. I love Polly. I've worked with her. She's great. Have you? Yeah. yeah. She, she, she was on a... my last BF album, yeah. She's got this amazing. I mean, when I first met her, Katie, she's Katie's BFF, you know, from Brits. Yeah, and yeah. Katie's going to meet my friend Polly. She's so prolific. She writes these amazing tunes. And I think Polly's got a way of writing the most extraordinary melodies. So I've done a version with her. And in fact, the Jules Holland show I recorded last week, which broadcasts, airs on the 11th of June, just in case I don't know when you're. That's her. She's got, wow. she's got a lot of stage fright. 
She does yeah, get it. Yeah, she's quite... But she didn't need to because she was perfect. Oh, of course, of course, of course. She's, uh, I did a version of The Look of Love with her, a really abstract version that I, I messed up and chopped up on Ableton. And it's like really ambient. Yeah, it's really quite interesting, yeah. And she did it like, the look of love is in, you know, and all that. Um, right, stupid smash its questions at the end. Especially uh, a nicey. Especially a nicey. That's us in Venice, like a couple of, you know. Smashetto and nice, yes, smashuno and then nicetto. Smash it and nice, niceino, yeah. Um, what's your favourite film? Or one of them. You know, when you put people on the spot, the same person that's probably spent the last 20 minutes somewhere telling everybody their favourite films, you put them on the spot and ask them and it goes blank. It's like jokes. Got that's the joke. idea. That's why I don't give any advance. Performance is really one that I always love. Oh, what a film. Maybe the last great British film in the 70s. It was just uh, incredible. Performance is a favourite. I used to live around the corner from where it was, where, where he did all of those yeah. scenes in Notting Hill. Power yeah. Square. Yeah, Power Square. Yeah. I'd call that a favourite. Yeah, I'd, me too. I love that. I mean, I don't have a favourite. I love cinema. I've got a whole <coughs> cupboard full of favourites, but I've always okay. loved that one. And the soundtrack, of course, is just... Yeah. I've got to go and watch it again. I haven't watched it for a decade, I don't think. But I love it. Um, book... Well, I'm really big on Shakespeare. So Richard II, I'm working again through at the moment. Um, probably books. I'm very into books, big time. You know, great fiction. I do. Well, I see the wonderful thing about doing art is this dividend. So when you read a book, it's great. I love reading. But when you listen to it as an audio book, you your eyeballs don't have to move. So you can. I listen that. to a load of audio books. What's wrong with audio books? Why is there a bit of a sort of kudos vacuum for them? I mean, that, if you were rich, you were the king, you wouldn't bloody well read. You'd have somebody read to you while you had your nails done. <laughs> you know, the beautiful thing you can paint. I I I, I love to work on visuals, and I, I, out comes one in goes one stream. Yeah, a lot of my friends, because when you're if you're around friends and they chat on you're trying to have a discourse and they're tucked into their laptop it's a bit off-putting it's like put yeah. your laptop down let's engage but my family now have learned that when i'm actually on the laptop doing art i'm really listening i'm really right. listening it's not just mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so my daughter for instance now she tells me all about her life now she's now she knows that when i'm doing art i'm really paying attention because yeah. you can you know i wouldn't do emails you know if i was doing emails i wouldn't be being a very good dad but you can you can absolutely just this bonus you can have it both so books it's the last one I read. I mean, I love Herodotus. I love the books that you can read and read and read and read. William Hazlitt is a favourite writer. These are books I'll always take with me. Right, right, right. I take William Hazlitt anywhere. So that's the only book I'd like. I can just read this and read and read. Same with Thomas Hardy. Yeah, Thomas Hardy's fantastic. Yeah, you can just read and there's long sentences. They're better for being read aloud as well. So you can read them aloud to yeah. yourself even. Yeah, yeah. The really good thing to do is to take a book and read passages aloud to yourself at speed. You really, you really and then read not, the footnotes. Probably not on a bus, but <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, these days everybody's talking to themselves. I know. Right? Can't tell. Okay. Every time you're in the street and somebody says something, and you go, "What? You're talking to me?" Oh. <laughs> what's your favourite TV show? Past, present. I love West Wing. West Point. Interesting. West Wing. West Wing. Yeah. I right, I did. Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen all that. The president you wish we all had. I watched it three times, but I like things like Black Nos, um, Orpheus, Orpheus, 
um, Orphan Black and, and TV. I mean, what's favourite TV? Breaking. I think Breaking Bad is probably the best TV series written for in terms of dra- TV drama. Really? It's content and everything about it, yeah, I think. Right, so. okay. Um, who's your favourite, and this is really difficult, so who's your favourite uh, other musical artist or composer? Jimi Hendrix. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is Beethoven. Beethoven, right. Beethoven is... is if I had to take one composer's work to a desert island, it's 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 absolutely Beethoven because all of life is in that. That's enough. If it had to be just one, it'd be like collected works of Beethoven, pl- hopefully played by, you know, the Lindsays, for instance, if it's a late quartet. Yeah. So I would have, want to have some say in the performance, but yeah, Beethoven. Fantastic. Or, or if I knew I had a long time, I could ask for all Beethoven's music on score and then I'd have to bloody learn it, wouldn't I? Ah, uh, yeah, that would keep you occupied. No, I do. Actually, that's a good one, isn't it? You take the scores... And you take a little keyboard, if you're allowed to have that as well. And you've you've got to work it right. I need to work it out, just like learning a new language. I love that. Work it out. I can't hear it. I'm desperate to hear it. I know how they go. Here's the dots. Let's see if we can have a crack at it. You've only got that and, like, some general MIDI sounds. (laughs) Yes. Those horrible general. But piano only would be good because I found the delight. See, I'm now doing these compositions. I've just done two for piano only. Um, And... I was listening to is the, the, the that's the latest thing you've got on Spotify is that right? I don't think the piano only I don't know I don't think so I don't think anybody's heard it it's just piano for oh. you know for pianists to play and it's one of the most immersive wonderful things I've ever done I mean I could just just love it. I, I think my second favorite thing after working with vocals is just pure piano Have you got Although a, I'm a good player? No. No no that's not it. But have you got if You a, can't say it on a piano you probably haven't got a great melody. Have you got a nice piano? No. Would you like a nice piano? Well, no, I'd be intimidated by it. Oh, you wouldn't get over that. It's big wooden keys. And you all know, that. I'd be quite happy just with an upright Steinway. That would do me. Anyway, um, epiphanal moment in your life. A moment of realisation. Well, it's not that far away, really. When I the penny dropped, that I could be who I want to be. Now I'm going into terrible, cliche territory now, but it's taking me all this time. Born the same year as you, 1956. I'm a proper Cold War baby, brought up in London in the late sixties as a child, and very unhappy childhood. And then the career that everybody goes on about, you know, yeah, oh, Ray, I like Grammys, all these people. It's like, but it wasn't, I couldn't figure out the scening of life. And I had a very bad period about two years ago and, and managed to come out of it with a sense of, I can, I can do exactly what I want to do. What do I want to do? What do I really care about? And I won't go on about it, but yeah, William, you can pretty much do what's, you just haven't been, you haven't applied yourself. You're like a, you're like a student that's gone through life and it could, could do better, doesn't apply themselves in green ink, you know, and I just thought, yeah, you, that's, so that was an epiphanal process of pivot. Wow. And I went to this place in Austria, which I adore. And yeah, so the last year and a half, it's been a happy, a happy time. Right. Decision. So, yeah. I mean, but I don't want to say all gushy, you know, but you know, it's no, like no, 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 other no, people very, are struggling, but if I can, but if I can be a service, I'm also a fighter, you know, I am a fighter. I will fight for the yeah. right cause. Good lad. That's what I like to hear. Um, ambition unfulfilled. Well, it, crassly speaking, I wouldn't mind becoming a household name. 
which is a you know a, a, a million light years from because I'm very much a niche person. Um, yes. You know, it's not, and I I don't want to become a household name for the wrong reason, but I would like in some way like to become a name that that for a good reason and possibly nothing to do with music, just to do with with service. It's an important thing in my in my spirit. So so that's what I'd really like, and it's as simple as that. And to not waver from my new my new path, which is I just, love this. I love this. You know, it's great stuff. Yeah, um, visual or conceptual artist. I do like um, classic oil on canvas. Yeah, that's me what gets too. Me going from the from the from the masters from the Renaissance painters like John Martin. I really love. I love the modern work of this artist called Keith Tyson. Think he's one of our greatest modern artists. He's just does because he applies himself to everything, including beautiful brushwork. On, on because because I'm an artist, but I'm you know it's music that I'm I exemplify, and I I'm as good a musician on the palette as, as I'd want to be, if you like. Right. Or if not, I can make myself better. When it comes to brush on canvas and figurative art, not quite. You know, I mean, I'm not ever going to. I mean, be that's better. a lifetime kind of development thing 10,000 hours thing isn't it you know yes it is you know I, I just get great enjoyment from it but but I do like I just love beautifully painted oil on canvas and so I get a little frustrated by conceptual or, or, or um yeah. what's the word for it I had a great art lesson once from to my two best art lessons were to, from two very illustrious people one was Malcolm McLaren who sat and patiently explained everything about situationalism to me. It's a very interesting masterclass he gave me. We were working on Deep in Vogue, and we had a lot of time to spare, and with, with a lot of talking, and he did most of the talking, of course, which I was happy to listen to. <laughs> the other was Tracy Emin, who I know socially, and she took me on a, a tour once of this basement area of an auction room where we were both sitting for one of those charity auctions. And the no, I won't say what what gallery it was, but it's very prestigious, but they got this guy that was doing the auction that what probably shouldn't have been. I mean, if you're going to have somebody do the charity auction, they need to be quite good on stage, sort of funny and topical yeah, and engaging, yeah, yeah, yeah. And have the gift of the gab. And usually, they, and this poor man, he just didn't have that. Oh. He was a bit toe-curling. So we snuck off and she took me down to the basement that was uh, where they stored all sorts of stuff. And there was a cleaner there. And, and Tracy gave me the most wonderful art exposition of this basement full of cleaning materials. <laughs> And then she drew me, she drew me a picture. And I, all I had in my pocket was, was white paper and a white China graph pencil, which of course we used to mark mixes and things. Yeah, of course. To mark the levels in the old days. And she drew me a picture in white China graph on white paper. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Probably worth a fortune. Um, <laughs> my pension. <laughs> so um, which of your own work are you most proud of? I always say to other people, if you're on a plane, and you're sitting next to somebody and they say, what do you do? And you go, I'm a musician. Oh, is there anything I can hear that represents you? Let me four minutes till we have got to take our headphones off. What you got? What track would you play that person? And mm -hmm. I would play, I'd say I've got two tracks, actually. One is Ray of Light by Madonna. Possibly an outtake that I've got where she shrieks Ooh. and laughs and does opera. And the other would be probably Water from the Vine Leaf. Right. Just a touch of that. I mean, combined, that would come to more than an hour allotted four minutes. But I think that would represent me pretty well. Great. Um, if you hadn't been a musician, what do you think you might have been? Well. It's hard to say, I know. I, no, it's not I, hard to say at all. It's what I can say. Um, I didn't start in music until I was 23. Um, I would have been either in jail, dead, or in the army. 
So there you go. Wow. Okay. So I did That's a lot of jobs. Nice. And I knew I didn't like any of them. I did a lot of jobs, different things, all sorts. I've I mean, seen I on, on, on your uh, bio. It, it. Quite it doesn't say the half of it because, you know, they, I, you know, Wiki's weird. But, uh, yeah, it's lucky that I got into music, actually. It's a lifesaver. So there mm. you go. Okay. And finally, I'm not, I have to say, this has been one of my favourite um, I, you know, people say, oh, you always say, it. I don't always say it. It's been one of my favorite interviews. I just think you're a great interviewee. Well, you're a very good interviewer yourself. You're interviewing, yeah, yeah. I'm not bad. I, I spend <laughs> a lot of time debating this. Um, what's your favorite synth? Do you know 106? So That's many people say that it's a pal. Yeah. It's not that sophisticated. There was the Juno 6, I remember that, the Juno 60. The 106 is analogue enough to be analogue, but it's got some digital controls. It's kind of a nut tipping point. It hasn't got a lot of controls, but it's a standard one for shaping sound. ADSR, you know, attack, delay, yeah. sustain, exactly. whatever. Exactly. And it's got, you know, you can just lunge at it and do stuff very, and it's all over my stuff. Bass lines, I mean, I mean, talking about Ray of Light and Pure Shores, I mean, it's all Juno 106 right. and guitar. You know, my other favourite synth, my other favourite synth is the guitar. <laughs> so do you know one of the, my favourite synth is the guitar because you can, I turn so much guitar into synth. People think, what's yeah. that synth sound? It was a guitar originally. Yeah. And I just morphed it. People don't know, do they, anyway? It doesn't matter <laughs> anymore. You can do so much processing. Well, the beauty of sound, Candy, the beauty of sound is that you can make a piece of, I think that's what a rare thing. It's like with words, you can create a phrase of the same words that everybody in their life has always had access to. And you can create in a short sentence or a shorter than a, a short clause in a sentence, you can create something like nobody thought of before. And it's absolutely a little gem that was just popped out. And it's the same with sound. With art, you do need to back off enough to see figuratively what it is. You know, you can't, most pieces of beautiful art, you zone right in and see a beautiful brushstroke, but it's not the same as zoning out. But with music, with sonics rather, you can create a moment of sound that um, is as unique, everybody knows it and cannot be replicated. Yeah, amazing. Much to the lawyer's delight, of course, when it comes to sampling. But <laughs> that, is, that, that is something very exciting about sound is that you can keep on making these moments that are just truly unique to yourself, never run out. Oh, it's fantastic. Well, what that was a great way to end it, I think. Um, listen, we have to talk offline about Venice and, and getting that shit organised. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, we'll speak very soon. Yeah. Bye, Thank, you, Thank you. That was absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? Six decades worth of stuff. All those people he's worked with, which we barely touched on. There were no... I could have probably dug into all sorts of salacious stuff to do with uh, Madonna and, you know, all these different people he's worked with and co-written with. And he did Ray of Light. He did um, Justify My Love and all that stuff. And his his love of classical music... His love of melody and uh, everything else was just incredible and uh, meant that he'd, he, he's got a different take on stuff to the average kind of remixer um, stuff. Um, very exciting. And, um, man, I could talk forever, and the whole Venice thing just blew my mind. This seems to be like um, kismet or fate or... 
something like that. Anyway, how is everyone? Uh, summer's coming. The goose is getting fat. No, it's Christmas. Uh, we're going to have some great fun this summer. I think there's lots of festivals at Hemp 17 are playing. And we've got some great guests coming up. Looking forward to seeing you all next week. Yeah, don't forget to email me electronically, martin at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to look at my Patreon site, patreon.com. Look up electronically hours. Uh, please consider contributing. We don't have a sponsor at the moment, so any financial uh, help we can get is greatly received. Uh, I don't make any money out of this. I just need some money to help pay my impoverished um, workers. <laughs> I'll see you next week. Bye! Simon Everest. Hi, Martin. Thanks for all the great podcasts. Um, just listening to you and Hooky, when would you both like to come around for dinner? Martin's just... Having a drink. Having a drink. Sorry. Sippy cup. Um, I think Heaven 17 is referenced on a Gary Newman B-side from 1983 called My Car Slides Part 1. A song written about Gary Newman's fame and success slipping away. The lyrics question... Are the radio plays heaven something? <laughs> when you were you aware of this when you next speak to Gary? Can you ask him to confirm that? I'll uh, if I get to speak him speak to him again, I shall ask him. It sounds interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> this is from Dan Donnelly. Has Liam Howlett been suggested a million times, or the guys from Hot Chip? Actually, Hot Chip would be great. That would be good. Yeah. Joe Goddard and Hot Chip. I think the fans of M17, if I remember rightly. And the other ones uh, who I should ask in a similar vein are um, Daft Punk. Yeah, that would be really good. Daft Punk. And um, and also, too many DJs have, have actually performed at some of our mm. at some of our gigs. Wait, we're their fans, I know that. Yeah. And, oh God, LCD sound system, it's all coming out now. Oh, yeah, they actually did a cover version of um, L LCD sound system. Yeah, um, they did a cover version of um, Fascist Crew thing. Wait, weren't you going to get um, that director who did the Apex Twin videos? Oh yeah. Oh, um, oh God. I can't remember what he's called. I couldn't find his details. Um, oh, it'll come back to me. Right. Um, the, your turn. This is from Brian Smith. Hi, Martin. Sorry, the dribs and drabs. The more I think about it, the more there are. Boris Blank. Yep, good Ryuchi idea. Sakamoto. Yep. Wolfgang Fleur. Yep. Jean-Michael Jarre. Jean-Michel. Whatever. <laughs> Jean-Michael Jarre. <laughs> Okay, here we go. We're actually getting uh, up nearly Where closer. We? We're sixth oh, of October. Martin, like everyone else who writes, I'm a massive original lineup Human League fan, BFM17, and I'm a patron who has been following the podcast since the early days. Keep it brief. Here are the recommendations: Ian Krauss, solo artist, 
ex of the incredible trailblazing, sampler-driven 90s band Disco Inferno. Never heard of them. Um, Kevin Key. Kevin Key, Skinny Puppy, Doubting Thomas, Download. Don't know. <coughs> Bernard Sumner. Be interesting. Stephen Morris, Gillian Gilbert, yep. Hank Shockley, The Bomb Squad, who uh, produced the classic Sample Dense Public Enemy That'd LPs. Be cool. That'd be great. That'd be really good. Uh, Graham Sutton, Bark Psychosis, Boymerang. Good name for a band. And I'll second other listeners' requests for Spark, Tom Ellard of Severed Heads, and The Egyptian Lover. Egyptian Lover would be good. Who, I don't know them. He's before. like a old electro producer guy okay but he's still kind of going okay thank you so much for your time your music and your superlative podcast thank you that's very kind Jacques Granger hi Martin this is from Alex M Alex Milo Um, hi Martin love the show it keeps me company when I clean or rewire the studio which feels like every 10 minutes my name is Alex Maiolo. I'm a writer for a few outlets such as Tape Op, Fashion, Music Style, Reverb.com and Louder Than War. Um, I've written some Moog history as well. I'm part of a mod- modular duo called Triple X Snacks, XXX, um, <laughs> and an international collective project called Themes for Great Cities. Um... The name is obviously a nod to the very underrated early works of Simple Minds. Uh, I'm writing suggest I'm writing to suggest Mick McNeil as a guest. He's the rare keyboardist that straddles actual impressive chops with absolute artistry. I find him to be frighteningly frighteningly great keyboardist and synth 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 synthesis synthesis. Master of Oberheims and the Hard to Control Jupiter 6. Mm. Master of Oberheims. Yeah. Um, additionally, as a fan of earliest Detroit techno, like Drexia, Me too. that would be cool. Underground Resistance, that would be cool. Dozyclus, that would be cool. Do you know them? I know all of those. Really? Um, do I do, you, yeah. do I forgot to mention... <laughs> That Charles is DJ. I'm a DJ. And he does actually... Everyone's a DJ. No, everyone's a DJ, I know, but he knows his shit. Thanks. Um, I do think it would be good to get some of those yeah, I, I early agree. Detroit I agree. guys. Cause, um, I loved all that stuff. That would be cool. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Also, with the bulk of your guests being white and male, because by its very nature that's just how pop music history is up to a point, would introduce more diversity. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and we, we are actively seeking that d- diversity. Um, it's difficult, I have to say, uh, yeah. because, yeah, in the UK, the, the, there's not, in terms of electronic music, there's not a huge number of, I mean, it's mainly a white thing, to put it bluntly, you know. Yeah. Um, or the gammon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> DJ Gammon. Um, yeah, DJ Gammon, all the wasps. Yeah, um, yeah no, it, it would be good to get um, exactly. some of those guys on. Um, uh, a massively inspirational work like the Heroes Crawford. Last of all, Suzanne Chiani is always a great interview. She has incredible stories. All the best <coughs> to you, Martin. Thanks for all you do. Stay safe, Alex Mayo. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Um... Uh... Greetings from the Midwest USA. 
Dear Martin, I hope you're doing well. This message is coming to you from rural Illinois. Oh, that's very atmospheric. I'm a recent convert to your podcast after first listening to your episode with Stephen Malinder. You're insightful. Isn't it strange that, you know, there's all these tiny little towns, particularly in America, where, you know, some of them might only have a few thousand people in them but the in the in the in the you know teenagers bedrooms they've been listening to stuff that was created in like some two up two down house in sheffield mm. um your insightful conversations have been helping me get through long nights at my job scanning microfiche documents wow that <laughs> is uh, microfiche do you know what uh, microfiche what is, is? That? I don't know. before the internet if you wanted to store huge amounts of information you basically um, photographed them, but then they were reduced to tiny, tiny facsimiles right. of a, of text, basically, usually. Uh, and then they had special machines, microfiche machines, that could blow them up into readable form. Right. So it's done on fil- an, an actual oh, what? You know, film. What? Wow. Yeah. And that's a really... T- uh, well, Why is he doing that? I don't know. Maybe they're digitising it or something. Right. I was wondering if you'd consider interviewing Chris Carter, Cozy Fanny Tutti, I'm, I'm on it, or perhaps Terry Riley. That would be cool. Oh, Terry Riley. I love Terry Riley. I mean, In Sea was one of my favourite albums when I was growing up in the 70s. I'm not, is he still alive? Good question. Mm. Many thanks and best wishes, Lucas. Thanks, Lucas. And oh, one more guest recommendation from Lucas, Martin Rev of Suicide. Is he still alive? Uh, don't know. Don't that know, but I good. love Suicide yeah, as well. They cool. were great. Um, dear Martin, love the podcast and the great conversations. Many favourites, including Alan Ranking, Pete Wiley, Simon Draper, Joe Callis, Hooky, Arthur Baker, Glenn, and Paul Gerald Casali. Dot dot dot. Um, as a teen, the Cleveland College radio stations frequently played Penthouse Era Heaven Seventeen, Clock DVA, and BEF, which was the most sophisticated alternative alternative for the US charts anyway um, it's it really transported the minds of some midwestern kids and punks so many thanks for all the music would love to hear an episode with Alan Ravenstein and and or Robert Wheeler <coughs> successor Pear from Uber. Pear we Uber. toured with Pear Uber they were not very friendly I have to say <laughs> um, but, but you know we all grew up uh they also done EML-based synth albums together. Yeah. Cool. And that was... Are you going to Doug, tell me what yes, it was? No, not this one. Yeah, no, it was Doug Gillard. Thanks, Doug.